Hello beautiful people, thank you so much as always for clicking on this podcast and this particular episode of Joe Blogs about films. Whether you're a first time listener or long time listener, all the same, it is greatly appreciated, like a state, and thank you so, so much for your constant support. John Wick Chapter 4 is due out in a matter of weeks, depending on when this episode airs, it could be really soon in fairness, but basically what I'm going to do is, is try to revisit every chapter up until the fourth chapter that is due to be released at the end of March, and this film franchise is just ridiculously good. Like, it says a lot for me when each film is the same rating on IMDb. I mean, everyone's got their favourites. Obviously, you lean more so towards the first one being the best of the bunch, but they are such an incredible, consistent, great action film. You know what I mean? And Keanu Reeves as his character, just... In, it's like, it's so good for Keanu, someone like Keanu Reeves as well, who's a tremendous person, obviously, but to have... Such a good staple in the pop culture world, not only obviously with, with John Wick, but obviously with, with Neo and the Matrix, to have two really highly respected characters in that in that world, uh, the pop culture world, sorry. It's just a remarkable feat, and I, I absolutely love, love these films. Say, so John Wick won when it came out in 2014. I didn't actually catch it at the cinema. It was kind of one of those word-of-mouth films that people were like, have you seen John Wick? Have you seen John Wick? And I saw the trailer for Chapter 2. I had no idea that John Wick 1 had even existed, to be honest with you. But I saw the trailer for Chapter 2 and thought, well, that, that looks that was pretty good, actually. And then my friend's like, you need to see the first one. You have to watch the first one. And so I did check out the first one and absolutely bloody loved it. It is so, so good. There's so much to say. It's not just a case of mindless action, but there is so much in there to kind of unpack, especially like with Wick's character and the, the the grief and such that he's going through and everything stacking up against him, you know, against the odds, he's still taking down everyone. Like, I just love John Wick's character. Obviously, we'll dive more in depth and all of that when we, when we get to, but such a, such a great film, you know, released in 2014, as I've already mentioned, the film had a budget of 20 to $30 million and it grossed $86 million, you know what I mean? So it did very, very well. And it was originally intended to only be a trilogy, but obviously the success of the films as they've continued to go on have like helped keep the franchise going with its growing popularity and huge fan base because everyone loves John Wick. Like it's it's one of those where even if you think, okay, well, maybe the third one wasn't as good. As, I, to be honest with you, like I, I sometimes have arguments with myself as to which one is my personal favourite. I think that we'll always go back to the first one and that's another thing as well. There will be spoilers, but also I'm not going to kind of, I don't want to spend a lot of time going over what they establish or what they go over in like the sequels and such because we will get there. I really want to just focus on the first film for this podcast, obviously, because we're revisiting John Wick 1, but it is super, super good. It's co-directed by David Leach. You'll be familiar with David Leach's work. He did Bullet Train, Atomic Blonde, which is a great film, by the way. Like, that one, again, nearly slipped me by. Again, that was a... that was a, I didn't see it at the cinema, but someone lent it me saying, well, if you enjoyed John Wick, then you need to watch Atomic Blonde. And I'm saying the same again to anyone out there who has not seen Atomic Blonde. Check that out. But David Leach as well, of course, did Deadpool 2. And Chad Stahelski. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing that name. But this was Stahelski's first feature-length film, but he's sat in the director's chair for all of the John Wick films ever since. So credit to him, because Zahelski worked as a stuntman and, and a stunt fight coordinator most of his career. He even worked with uh, Keanu Reeves um, as, as Keanu Reeves' as stuntman in The Matrix. So I like the Wick universe, and the, the especially behind the scenes with all these characters, like, you know, when like Lawrence Fishburne and stuff come into it, there's all these, like, kind of links and ties to, well, maybe more so The Matrix, but people are collaborating once again together. You know what I mean? Great as well for Zahelski that he... 
has run with this franchise and is, is they're just getting and say he's obviously directing chapter four, which is already getting stellar, stellar reviews. So it's really cool that he's able to kind of, especially when you look at the, the, the fighting sequences and such that, that are in this film, they're all very well choreographed and you can tell that he will have had a massive, massive input in that. So fair play to him on that front. But I think he did a stellar job as first feature lengths go. You can't really ask for a better first go than John Wick, can you? Let's be honest. In the original script, the character of John Wick was written as a man in his mid sixties to play the role, given the title character's fabled reputation. You know, the filmmakers had in initially imagined an older actor. However, I think it was heads of Thunder Road Pictures uh, decided against that state. And instead, we decided to look for someone who is not literally older, but who has a seasoned history in the film world. And I thought they really did capture that super, super well, especially with how John is always welcomed with open arms by everyone. Like, he knows so much and about everyone, or to say this, this, these these relationships and the foundation that he's built over his career, being the assassin that he is, I think it was really uh, just a good idea not to have like a, a an older gent playing him, but someone that's just really good at what they do. Now, before I waffle on any further about John Wick and start gushing about how much I really love this film, of course the podcast is available on all the streaming sites. Make sure you do hit notification and follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever it is that you're listening through. Jump onto Facebook as well and Instagram and search Joe Bloggers about films. Give us a like and a follow on the Facebook page and uh, yeah, you can find out what's going on there. But also hit notification on wherever it is that you're streaming through because again, you can find out what's happening and when. But here we go, John Wick. I mean, this this is just absolutely... This story is just mad. It's like such a simple, simple premise, really, when, you know, you've got a character that's going through grief. He's then gifted a puppy from his late wife and some bad people turn up, kill the puppy, steal his car. And then it's just an all-out revenge plot, isn't it? It's a person that's been wronged trying to right, do the right, you know what I mean, and take down the people that have stopped him, unbeknownst to the people that have done what they've done to him, they have no idea the person that they've messed with. And that's so much to enjoy with that as well. Like, especially, I say I'll come to some of the performances as well that's in this, but the character Vigo, obviously, that he, when he realises what his son's done, oh my goodness, that is honestly one of my favourite moments in the entire John Wick saga, but we will come to that very shortly. But I just love that simple premise, you know. It's interesting enough to know that, and this is this 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 threw me completely off and blew my mind when I found this, but the story is loosely inspired by real events. It's it, honest, I'm so surprised when you've got films like Cocaine Bear that are slapping inspired by true events on the title, tag card or whatever, that this didn't get one as well. And I kind of like it in a way that they didn't because it, it does it does feel like an original story, but to, to hear and to read that it was loosely inspired by an incident in Texas... That, again, just, just blew my mind. I say it involved a Navy SEAL, uh, I believe his name was Marcus Luttrell, who, uh, who wrote something called Lone Survivor. Uh, it was about his fire team's ordeal during Operation Red Wings in Afghanistan in 2005, but Luttrell was given a yellow Labrador puppy, whom he named Daisy, which is what the puppy's called in, this, in John Wick as well. It was named Daisy after the members of his fire team. On April the 1st, 2009, at about 1am in the morning, Luttrell was awakened by a gunshot and saw four men drive away. Daisy was dead in his yard from a gunshot wound. He armed himself with two 9mm Beretta pistols and chased the men through four, four counties in his truck until police apprehended them. They taunted Luttrell, threatened to kill him and indicated no remorse for their actions. They were sentenced for animal cruelty, of course, but later Luttrell stated that he spared them because he'd killed enough people already. I just... 
that sto- I was like, I can't actually believe that that John Wick loosely was based on. So I mean, that that story is harrowing, and and this is the thing is that when you put yourself in that in these people's perspective, particularly John Wick or what happened to obviously Marcus Luttrell, it's such a harrowing ordeal and story. But I, I just couldn't believe that it was based on true events, like or at least loosely tied in with true events. But yeah, absolute madness. Uh, the writer for this, Derek Colson, spent two years trying to get the film made, and John Wick was supposed to be named Scorn, but Keanu loved the name John Wick that much that the directors agreed to change it. Can you imagine if it was called Scorn? Um, I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm glad that they stuck with John Wick. And just, just my last piece of little bit of trivia before we dive straight into the actual revisit itself. I've got some more trivia to sprinkle in there later and such, but Sylvester Stallone, Dolph Lundgren, John Claude Van Damme, Bruce Willis, Kurt Russell, Nicolas Cage, Kevin Costner, John Johnny Depp and Jason Statham were all considered for the role of John Wick. There's a few names in there when you were like, I could maybe see that. There's a few names in there, Nick Cage, that I was like, don't do it. I'm so glad they didn't do it, you know what I mean? But most of those names, I mean, you can see as well when they're talking about how they wanted like maybe an older actor to play, um, you know, like a, or have the Wick character as like a, a, a you know man of his sixties or something like that. Just why some of those names were mentioned, you know, like your Stallones and Lundgrens and Van Dams and such, and even Bruce. I mean, I don't even know how old they would have been in twenty fourteen, but still, they 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 would have fit that demographic of making that that if they were to go down that route of making them a much older John Wick. Um, then yeah, you could probably see why they got their um, yeah why they got their names in the uh, in the mix. But we we got Keanu and Keanu, what a guy, man, what a guy. More on, more on Keanu, obviously, uh, as as we go on because this is his film. It's just so badass, man, absolutely badass. But one of the things when I was rewatching the film, which I've seen many times, one of the things that I I, I really liked picking up on was at the opening of the film has a radio station playing which advises that storms have now passed and that there was severe rainfall the night before, but it will be getting warmer and reaching certain highs, which I think works super well in contrast to then seeing John enter in that banged-up car and falling out, having just had all of the action and the story and film, that is, have taken place prior to this opening. It's like the radio station is covering what has just happened in the events of John hunting these people responsible and for killing his dog and sitting in his car and, and, and putting that to bed. The storm has now passed, he can now look to a, maybe a brighter a brighter f- next few days or a brighter future kind of thing. I thought it was really well played how it did that. I mean, because we get that heartbreaking, because at that moment, sorry, when John Wick falls out of the car, he starts watching the video of his wife, and we know then there's a there's obviously a connection there and that there's something that's happened to his wife that's led him down this path again. And we do get that heartbreaking backstory that, that, leads, that, that leads, obviously, John losing his wife and dealing with grief. The colour scheme as well for all of these moments is really great. And there's limited, there's like limited dialogue throughout the film anyways. And particularly obviously that the opening is that there's literally nothing really said other than the odd couple of words or lines that you get from John's wife. But I feel that that whole, the colour palette and such for the film, once he's like in the hospital or, you know, once she's passed away and such, everything's dark and blue and has this empty feel when in contrast to those quick flashes again, of the memories, the, the happy memories he's got with his wife, where everything is bright and vibrant, they're smiling, it's great. The colours do come back in this film as the story unfolds and the action involving John continues. It's just a nice little touch to kind of strip all the colour back and just keep it really plain and basic while John is in the, you know, the, the, the purest of grief, really. And and let's be honest, like, and I don't mean this in any disrespect, but Keanu Reeves isn't the absolute best actor that ever was. Like, he he's an incredible human being nonetheless. Like, I can't stress enough. Like, you read some of the, the beautiful stories that he's done for people, the way he's helped people. Like I say, 
that I can't fault. I'm not taking and and and, I, and most films I've seen him have been like he's he's been fine. The Matrix, he was excellent and such. And there's the odd film like Knock Knock where he does all right. So I'm not like you know I'm not going to go through all of his filmography, but you know what I mean. Like basically, there's things where he's just okay. Whereas in this, I do feel that he does does shine super bright, and in particular this moment when he, you know, gives off that incredible display of emotion when he receives that letter from his late wife and the gift of the puppy, you genuinely feel devastated for him and his loss, you know what I mean? You feel it so, so deep. The film really gives you that early gut punch, which is why when that dog is brutally killed in the film, you feel the additional pain that John does, but you want him to exact his revenge as well. Like, this guy's gone through so much already. He's had, like, obviously, as we learn as the film goes on, a really dark past and, and to to be able to break away from that, to have an escape, to have everything shattered, it was only ever going to go one way for him, but you still, as soon as the dog is killed and such what happens, you are like this, they, 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 you got to go, man. You got you to go after these bad, you, you take them down any way, shape or form, you take those guys down. And that's the, that's the, the, the other thing as well that I like about this film is that the film's strong because it wastes no time. It's about an hour and 40, I think the film is, but the pacing is absolutely dead on and you don't feel overfaced or anything with any of the action sequences, especially with like the build-up and John, you know, from, from where we start to, to where he gets to, to him fully kicking ass and also learning as we go on just how good he was at his job. There's a lot to like, there's, there's loads of world-building, sorry, and character development and such that... It's just such a good, it just ticks along super, super nicely. And like, I have to give massive shout and props to the costume department. Like, they absolutely nail Wick's attire and outfit. They, they, they do it. They do the costume design incredibly well. And we'll see as, as we talk about the, you know, the sequels and such, just how, you know, elaborate they get and such with that. But I really like Wick's attire and outfit. This well fitted and smart looking suit and with all his hair pushed back just makes him look super professional and super crisp and good at what he does. There's, there's, there's a lot for Keanu to play within this role and with this character. It's not just a case of gunfire and action for the sake of it or mindless action, so to speak, or whatever. Like Wick has good depth as far as characters go, as far as lead characters go. It's not like a, a huge amount, but enough for the audience to really get behind and understand the emotions that the character is going through and just exactly who he is as well for that front. I think, as I've already mentioned, that minimal speaking as well from Wick is a good touch as he's not really here to talk, is he? He's here because he's got a job to do. And that's this is it. I, I, again, the, the kind of the, the, the one of the first kind of speaking parts or whatever that we get is the dialogue exchange between him and Alfie Allen, who... Alfie Allen in this is, is, as villains go, is great. You know, I mean, you just instantly, instantly take a dislike to him. Like, his demeanour and the way he dresses, the hood up, the smoking when they bump into each other, obviously, when he's filling up petrol, just screams bad egg. You know what I mean? Like, the arrogance that he thinks he can just buy John's car, which is the 1969 boss 429 Mustang, if I can get my words out, God. Uh, or, you know, the, the, the arrogance thinking he could buy that car or anyone's car, sorry, just adds to all of this. Like, he thinks that he is better than others, and because of his family and who they are and the powers that they have, thinks he can have anything he wants. He's just a, literally a spoiled brat, you know what I mean? It's just a, yeah, piece of work. But you're all the way through waiting for him to meet his demise. Like, I absolutely love... Like, I can't stress... I've already mentioned it, but I absolutely love 
the scenes between him and his father Vigo Tarasov, played by the the late Michael Nickvist. Uh, the way Nickvist walks over to him once he's found out, obviously over the phone, which I'll come to again because all the all of these I'm going to be fleeting from here to there with this bit because like there's so much to really enjoy. But just when the when he's found out what's happened, the way he walks over to him and gets into his son's personal space, holding the drink, just kind of like swaying, not saying anything, just giving the energy that he's not pleased at all. It's so, so great. And how then he punches him in the stomach before then pulling him up, dusting off his clothes, and then proceeds to tell him just the magnitude of his son's actions. All the while as well, this is going off, because he hits him a couple of times, tells his guard to stay in the room every time he tries to leave. It's just so compelling and gripping to watch. Like You are like... Good Lord, like, what What exactly has, has this boy done, you know what I mean? Like, in addition to this, it's incredibly entertaining to see everyone's reactions to what young uh, ISF Tarasov, that's Alfie Allen's character, uh, has done to John Wick. Like, you know, from John Leguizamo's reaction, which is absolutely fantastic, to Willem Dafoe's, to then obviously Vigo Tarasov's character, Vigo Tarasov as well. It's all so, so good, and it paints the picture of who John is without seeing him fire a single gun absolute perfect storytelling absolutely fantastic you know what i mean it's so so good and shout to one of my favorite exchanges in the film between john leguizamo and michael nickfist when vigo asks when you know rings him up saying i hear you struck my son may i ask why and then john leguizamo says yeah well because he stole john wick's car sir and uh killed his dog and then they get that perfect line from vigo of just Oh, it's just absolutely got like there's so many moments in this like that and this this whole segment this whole segment of one's characters and and the within the wick verse realize what he's done it's just perfect because michael nickvitt's speech vigo's speech about who john is it is probably one of my favorite moments if not my probably is my favorite moment in the film not just because it includes pretty much all my favorite quotes and such but the contrast in him talking calmly saying who john is to then cut in to see john return home start hammering the basement to get his weapons and coins it is so intense and terrifying as vigo tells his son that there's nothing nothing he can do and again like when when uh iosef uh, alfie allen's character says something like i'll finish what i started and then, and then like vigo's like did he hear it? did he listen to an effing word i've just said this there's so much so much to really enjoy but other favorite lines um in in this moment is that effing nobody is john wick john wick wasn't the boogeyman he was the one you sent to kill the effing boogeyman once i saw him kill three men in a bar with a pencil with an effing pencil absolutely wonderful like i'm sorry for, for blanking out the expletives but i do try to keep this podcast family friendly so but they're all absolutely incredible lines that i'm sorry like they're, they're delivering everything like i do i again obviously as we go on we're talking more about vigo and stuff but i really like michael nickvist's performance in this as vigo i think he's a he's a very very good villain in this and you know as i've already stated like wick is respected by all like throughout the film he is greeted and welcomed with open arms by all who knows him and comes across, making this character extremely likable despite his actions. But to be fair, you know, the audience were already rooting for him because he's, he's had his dog killed at the end of the day. That, like, that is the seriously best way to have an audience in your palm, isn't it? Let's be honest. Like, he's still grieving for his wife and so this revenge plot in a way is helping him through that period and it's something that he can take control of, you know, like him getting back at these people for what they've done to him. It's something that he can take care of, whereas his wife passing was completely out of his hands and control. For someone who is as tactical and can take care of himself and others, 
having his wife taken from him is something that he just can't understand. Like we see that in the moment when he talks at the funeral to Willem Dafoe's character when they're in the pouring rain again. Great colour scheme as well for this moment in the earlier stages of the film when he's like, I keep asking myself, why? Why her? Like he just cannot understand it. However, bad guys coming in, stealing your car and murdering your dog on the other hand, that's something that I can take care of. You know, that's for, for wickets like that is definitely something that I'm not going to let sit. You know, it's a little mix of all of his anger and grief molded together in this one man mission which makes him even more terrifying you know like it is absolutely terrifying if you're on the receiving end of mr wick coming for you well you may as well just i don't know just surrender now it's there's no point because john wick will hunt you down essentially like let's just talk about some of the action in here because it's john wick for goodness sake let's be honest so the action as we know, it's outstanding. Like, it's incredibly outstanding. The way that Wick takes down his enemies in such genius fashion, like, always makes me smile. Like, how can you not be grinning? I say this regularly when... I always come back to John Wick when I review action films and such. Any ingenious way of taking someone down, like, again, I don't want to talk too much about stuff that we see in the uh, in the sequels and such, but they just get better and better, don't they? And in this one, it's like more of, like, word of mouth. Like, there's some great kills in this, but hearing the, the, the stuff about him taking people down with pencils, this and that and the other, but to see some of these action sequences unfold... It's just a marvellous feat. Like, there's so many, so many good set pieces in this film. Something that, again, like I say, the sequels do expand on and they get grander and grander. Like, the first sequence, though, in the house, once John Wick has, has got his stuff together, he's ready for action, that is really fun. Like, going from all these shootout, from all the shootout and bloodshed to being called upon by that local police officer as well, who obviously knows what John used to do, and they just stood there having a chat where there's all these bodies in there. He's like, you working against them? No, I'm just sorting some stuff out. I was like, oh, night, John. No, Jimmy. It's just marvellous and amusing. There's some really great moments in this. Like I said, that the way that, that Wick will, you know, jump and like almost like grapple people with his legs and pull them down before shooting them the second. The other are like one of mine's when he comes up towards like the, the frame of the camera. We're following Wick, we're tracking him as he's coming towards the camera. It's obviously we pan to a wide shot, and there's him on the side of a pillar, and then the bad guy on the other side, and obviously John can't get to him by going round it, he might get shot. So he just kind of like scoops down to his knees and shoots like upwards through the pillar. Oh my goodness. Like all of that was absolutely, it's just absolutely incredible. Like the, I'm also a really, really big fan of the sequence of Wick hunting ISF down in the nightclub, you know, having the panicked ISF running and flapping through the huge crowd as Wick slowly and calm is walking through searching for him as this music or dubstep or whatever is blaring is <laughs> absolutely great. And Alfie Allen's ISF exclaiming that, prior to this moment that he isn't scared of the boogeyman to his body card was like that you, sh you should be <laughs> though he clearly is petrified you know it's, it's it's really grand it's putting on that hard guy persona only to be like sprinting away from wick shortly after and again as i keep praising about the film the use of color on all of this sequence is incredibly strong like it's just it's, it is just a great sequence and again putting wick in so many great different settings and according to the director's commentary when they shot the top level nightclub fight sequence which obviously is once wick makes his way up to the balcony the set and the other apparently keanu reeves had flu and that was running like a fever of maybe 104 degrees or something apparently chad stahelski said that you couldn't even get him to sit down like he just did take after take like what a great attitude and just commend for for wanting to get the job done. you know what i mean like it's almost like that's a john wick thing himself like john wick i've got time for fevers i ain't got time for 104 degree fever i've got people to shoot I've got people to kill but again in addition to this that um apparently keanu reeves did 90 percent of his own stunts in the film like his preparation for the role included weapons and martial arts training eight hours per day for four months in a very short order reeves became so proficient in tactical training that his instructors said that he was almost too good as performing many tasks such as reloading magazine 
faster and better than professional soldiers would in live fire combat situations. But Reeve spent, let's say, four months of hardcore training, judo, jiu-jitsu, guns, and physical fitness, which is why the action's not mindless in this film. Do you know what I mean? Like, there is a huge prep. Like, if you go on the internet or if you own the film, which you've probably seen already, but just jump onto YouTube or whatever, you can see some absolutely wonderful behind-the-scenes footage of Keanu Reeves just doing all of this, you know, from, from like I said, judo, jiu-jitsu, to him, gun training, this, that, and the other. It's, in, it's impeccable. It's, it's such a it's such a, a wonderful art and craft that he's put in there. Like, he's really, really... You know, he's, he's done he's done everything that he can to make this the best one of the best performances and more believable performances, we should say. Because, like I say, it, it is a film, obviously, with a lot of gunfire and a lot of action. But like I've stated several times, it isn't just numbing, mind-numbing or anything. It isn't like... John Wick's not one of those films, I would say, either way. You can you, do, you have to be like, oh, yeah, if you switch your mind off and just, just take what it is, you'll enjoy it. Like, I do think there's more to it than that, which is why I think it's got such a, a passionate fan base, like I say, because they put so much effort in behind the scenes. Um, again, just quickly going back to the nightclub as well, so that I particularly love the sequence when he enters. It's like a private booth and he begins firing, but he's firing in time with the music. So well choreographed and edited, like so, so good. Like it is so epic. Like I go back to revisit and rewatch that moment uh, quite a lot in fairness. But uh, yeah, like what, I know I'm jumping from here to there because as I said, with these revisits and such, I, I try to... I don't want to regurgitate the entire plot. I just kind of want to pick out the things that I really love about the film and obviously pick out like favorite moments and stuff. So apologies if I feel like I'm cruising at such a rapid pace, but I kind of want to keep all the action and stuff together in one nice little, nice little, uh, nice little pocket or whatever you want to say. Uh, but I'm a big fan of that. There is absolutely no messing about when it comes to John making the kill of ISF. So Alfie Allen, obviously when he's cornered, like there's none of this pleading or begging or even a hint that John's going to let him go. He's got one thing on his mind. He just walks up to him with the gun at hand, where he wants him, shoots him before leaving. No cool one line or anything like that. No nonsense. Just pop, done, I'm out. You know what I mean? He'll go. That's all. That's pretty much all he wanted. Like he's just, it's just something that we don't often see in films. And it's another green tick. Cause half at time, it's like, we see it where like the protagonist gets the antagonist or whatever in like a corner and there'll be like a back and forth exchange. And somehow there's enough time. And you look at bond films or whatever. There's, there's always some kind of like, you've got him, you've got, Oh, he's gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's one of those, like I, I, I like that wick doesn't fit that trope. You know, it literally is just a case of, right. I've got a job to do. I've done it. I'm off kind of thing. I'm off ski. But um, yeah, it's such a, it's such a, it's just something that we don't really see, don't really see often, often enough, really. But the 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 other kind of points I've got down is that the tattoo on John Wick's back during the shower scene is a Latin phrase, "Fortis Fortuna Adjuvats," and again, they, they, there's my Latin for you, which <laughs> which translates to "Fortune favors the strong." And this is the this is used of um, this motto, sorry, is used of several military units over the world. But again. That sort that tattoo that it sums up John to a T. You know, not only is stronger than his enemies, but he was also strong enough to get out of the Continental, etc., and have a wife and a life. You know, but speaking of like the Continental, this is something as well that the sequels dive more into, and basically like they dive into the whole world that John Wick lives in, the Wickverse or whatever you want to call it. But we do get to see small pockets of the Continental. You know how it's run and the rules of the establishment. But the first film only really scrapes the surface of this and allows the audience to maybe decide for themselves on what this establishment actually is, you know? It's good that even during all of the action and revenge plot that's ongoing, the film does take its time to reveal more of Wick's past and who he worked for and with. And again, as stated earlier, with the colour and such, the Continental has some really lovely colour and lighting that isn't like in those first 15, 20 minutes of the film, showing how the more Wick returns to his past life, 
the more that colour is brought, brought back into his life. And furthermore, in respect to the wider world, or the Wickverse, we get to see some great locations and settings and like establish, more establishments, like the church sequence, which is basically obviously a cover for, for Vigo and everything, like his money and all the kind of holds that he had on the city, this, that and the other. But having Wick enter and take down everyone, like taking down the, the, the priest or whatever, that was that's entertaining enough. But like I said, when he basically goes in and starts burning everything that Vigo has, is so iconic and so badass. And again, so John Wick, like he has no desire to steal any of his stuff just wants to destroy it like all that John's had destroyed for him in his life. It leads to a great interrogation or conversation between the two of them as well, which looks fantastic on screen. Like, I've praised the cinematography loads, but I do feel that cinematography that was done by Jonathan Seller, that this, again, I feel like is one of my favourite moments in the film. It's just like this sequence, this conversation between the two where John's obviously sat down tied to the chair, but the wide shot they have of the sun appearing through the glass separating John on the right and Vigo on the left is really effective and and, I, and I've already mentioned obviously that I really like Michael Nickfister's performance in this but I do think he's really great in this film he's got such charisma yet fearlessness even when facing Wick like he knows who and what he's up against and the and 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 at best he probably knows he's not going to make it out alive nor will his son but he's still going to give it a go you know what I mean like he's still going to give it a pop and a go at John it's just that John as Vigo says in this moment between the two in the interrogation that he is still the John Wick of old like he obviously doesn't want his son to die but he also wants himself to live and there's a real like pain there which shows and he shows that in a couple of ways you know once he is cornered and, and essentially defeated by Wick you know first once Wick obviously which is so good but you know like when he breaks out of the obviously the, the chair that is enough to being tortured and stops the you know makes him crash the car and such before jumping onto the bonnet pointing at him and then <laughs> Vigo's like oh cool it cool it cool it when he gets out but like just 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 after that there's that there's the denial side of this when he sh- when he shouts the expletive that he does then gives John his son's location we then see him spark up a joint almost to like quell the demons and guilt essentially for murdering his son then there's the anger stage when he decides to go and take down Willem Dafoe for not taking out John as part of the contract they had ultimately allowing John then to obviously go off and kill his son because of Willem Dafoe not taking up on these actions and just a quick one as well I always forget that Willem Dafoe is in this film like I bloody love Willem Dafoe don't get me wrong but I always forget that he's in this it's a great supporting role for him as well it doesn't really flex much of his acting chops but I do like the relationship that he and Wick have throughout like he cares so much for Wick that he's willing to double cross Vigo to save John on numerous occasions. We see it throughout, let's say, whether he's looking at looking over him in the Continental or even obviously in that interrogation scene. But ultimately, Willem Dafoe's character pays the price when Vigo catches wind and then tortures and kills him for it. And again, like that is part of ang- uh, part of Vigo's anger at the loss of everything, including his son. You know, but this would eventually come back to bite Vigo on the ass because obviously even though John's agreed to spare of him, having Willem Dafoe killed was something that isn't just going to sit well with uh, with John Wick. And in a way, like, the film's climax, for, for me anyways, it, it, it could have ended the story. It just have been a one film, you know, it could have just been an original story and there wouldn't have needed to be a sequel. You know, he defeats, he defeats the enemies and then rescues another dog, bringing us back round full circle again so that he can essentially continue the journey through his grief. And I'm glad that we do have more of Mr. Wick. Like I said, I, I genuinely do love the sequels and I can't wait for chapter four like I just love seeing what this world's going to throw at us next you know what I mean so I am glad but as I say to be honest they did such a good job with the ending that it did finish that particular story rather than do any setups you know what I mean like it did so well just to round it off and they could have left it there but that's something obviously that the sequels have done since you know they, they've like 
done a setup for for another film, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. It's just that I feel like this particular part of his story is so well wrapped up at the end of the first John Wick, you know? And it is such a great, great film. So fun. Like, I, out of 10, obviously, this for me is essentially like a real strong eight and a half, nine film. It is excellent. Not just to say from the action stuff, but the performances that are in there are extremely, extremely good. Uh, I got a few last few sprinkles of trivia for all to enjoy, but the body count, which has been thoroughly checked apparently, is 72 by John Wick, plus at least least one more in the car that falls in the finale and then nine kills by other characters uh, the building uh, used for the continental so the exterior um the continental sanctuary is the same one used in the stock exchange scene in the dark knight rises so there's one for you batman fans uh, before the action starts john wears his watch in the typical way but as he prepares for battle he turns it to the inside of his wrist soldiers do this to see the time while holding a rifle and to avoid reflections from glass that may give away their position. Detail. It's all about the detail. Uh, and the directors also received studio notes suggesting that maybe the dog didn't need to die. I, I think that's that's adorable in a way because you're like... It's one of those ways. It's such a, it's such a, a compelling moment and, and one... A turning point, obviously. But I can tell that most people in that... Obviously, maybe watched the film or saw the script or whatever were like massive dog fans you know what i mean where they're like does the dog need, like every, everyone hates seeing um puppies or anything like that be killed in films it's like one of those you can kill people left right and center when it comes to animals or anything on particular dogs everyone's like don't do it don't do it don't do it so i think it's just uh yeah i think it's funny that the uh the studio were like does, does the dog need to go um ultimately I, I i do sadly think i have to and and the thing is though it's not like you know we, we get a new dog at the end and i do like that a dog does feature prominently throughout all of the john wick films um it's just it's almost like it's a connection to the gift that his wife gave him you know it's the last thing that his wife gave him was to give him a dog so i kind of see it as that that he always wants that companion close to him but i just think that keanu does such a good job with it and again i do appreciate i've i've flown through revisiting john wick but i i just wanted to get it spoken about on the podcast i think it's such a great film and i really can't wait to talk about two and three and i can't wait of course see the fourth one but i'd love to know what your thoughts are on john wick and in particular what your favorite wick film is either way like I, said, I think all the the three so far and obviously from what we're hearing about the fourth one which is going down as an absolute storm they are all very very strong action films and undoubtedly um just deserve as many rewatches and like marathons marathon away you know what i mean they are so so good but that's my thoughts to say eight and a half nine out of ten for john wick mr john wick indeed I will be back with more John Wick content, don't you worry. There's a few reviews coming your way for new films in particular. I've got 65 lined up and Scream. The weather up north where I'm based has been pretty horrendous. There's a lot of snow, so I've not had a chance to catch Scream yet, but it will be coming onto the podcast very soon in terms of reviews. But get in touch, as I say, on socials. Let me know all your thoughts on all the podcast episodes that you check out. Love a good chit-chat about films. And again, as I say, thank you so much for your constant support. Until the next episode, take care.